And so what I'm trying to figure out here is just that balance. Be there for my kid, give him all the opportunities, but also don't get him in a place where he is secretly buying Adderall. You get what I'm saying? Which is like, how do we give them what they need and also put them in the best position possible without messing them up? Welcome to Model Minority Moms, where we talk about the complicated meaning of success in career, family, and life. I'm Kate Wong, Jeanette Park, and Susan Liu, Harvard classmates and Asian American working moms to littles who get real about the pressures of fitting in while standing out. Welcome to season two of Model Minority Moms. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about the very thing that makes us realize what our values are, and that's choosing schools. So I'm really excited to talk to each of these women about it because we all actually believe different things, which makes the choice even harder. Here we are talking about where's our kid going to go to school? All right, ladies, you know, when, when, when I talk to parents about what is the number one thing of how your life changes after you have kids, parents are always like, oh my God, number one, thing is I've, I've, I've experienced a love that I've never felt before, which, you know, as a person who didn't have a kid, I had no idea what that meant. I said, I would nod and I'd be like, okay. And, and, and I think for me, after I became a mom, the, the number one most surprising thing besides now I know how to change diapers, which was super scary before I started, is that I started to realize the choices I make for my son art actually reveal a lot to me about my values. And some of those values I actually don't want to admit I believe. So today I really want to talk to you about what you're thinking about in terms of schools for your kids, because it really does say who you are and it could be kind of surprising if you didn't know that about yourself. So I'm curious, ladies, what are you going to do about your kids? Where are you going to send them to school? What did you think about? Are you stressed? Are you not stressed? Did you listen to nice white parents? Jeanette, I know you're on the hunt right now. Yeah, should we also talk about our own um, educational backgrounds? Sure. So that, because I think that that also plays a big influence on how we think about schooling for our own children. I mean, obviously, so we all went to college at Harvard, but before that, right? Like, so K-12 type stuff. Oh, yeah. Jeanette, you went to like one of the best high schools in the country. Okay, well, so I can go first, Susan, <laughs> since you volunteered me. I was totally jealous when I found out where you went to. Once I knew that you went there, I was like, oh shit, she must be hella smart. Okay. But can I just tell the whole story? Because yeah, tell the whole, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm letting you know. I was intimidated. I feel like always I have to contextualize it heavily because it's kind of loaded. So my background is my family immigrated to the U.S. around the time I was in kindergarten. I actually did kindergarten twice, once in Korea. And then again, after I got to the U.S. and so from kindergarten to third grade, I actually went to a LAUSD public school that was bilingual, Korean and English. And I think at the time it was the only Korean English bilingual public school in the country. And I didn't even know this. It was like only much later on when I would look at pictures. I'm like, why are all the kids in my school Korean? And then I, I found out that actually it was a bilingual program. Anyway, and then I went to a another public school that was in a wealthier area of LA because my 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 parents were able to get me into a gifted magnet program and so I attended a different elementary school in the kind of studio city area of LA for fourth and fifth grade and then I kind of followed in that gifted magnet program into middle school and and then in middle school one day a recruiter shows up from a high school called Andover located outside of Boston, which is a city that nobody in my family had ever been to. And they said, Hey, you know, we're looking for students who really love school and you get to live at the school and you get to take all these classes and being the huge nerd that I was, that I was, and still am. I'm like, Oh yeah, that sounds great. Live at school. I get to be in school all the time. You love school so much, you live there. I know, and I was like, that sounds great. Maybe folks who've listened to past episodes, you know, you might've gathered this, but you know, my parents didn't, we, we were not wealthy. We were very financially insecure. Actually, um, I'm the first one in my family to go to college. My parents did not go to college for various reasons. 
And so Andover actually was not a school that they had even heard of or was on their radar. They knew that I did well in school. So they were thinking of trying a scholarship for one of the local private high schools, but, you know, they weren't really thinking boarding school. But when this opportunity came up, they're like, sure, you know, why don't you just try it? And, you know, let's see what happens. Probably nothing, but let's see. And so I went through the whole application process and they ended up um, offering me a full scholarship for all four years at the school. And they also heard from some other parents who kind of knew more about the scene that it was actually like a school with a great reputation, et cetera. So at the age of 14, my parents let me fly across the country to Boston to start living in this, you know, city that they've never been to. So I essentially moved out when I was 14. And so I was there for four years and then before going to college. So that's and just, just to contextualize for the listeners, Andover is like the Harvard of boarding schools and yeah. high schools. It's like, it's like the, it's one of, it's one of the top ones, right? Does that make Exeter the Yale? I think it's actually <laughs> the other way around. So, oh, sorry. okay. You know, okay. <laughs> so I like, have better friends sorry, Exeter Yale. is in uh, Phillips, Exeter, Phillips, Andover. They're like rival schools. Anyway, yeah. Well, that. yes. So <laughs> apparently Phillips Andover was the original school and there was something, I don't know, in like 1780 something where like some ex <laughs> headmaster of Andover went off and started Exeter across the state borderline in New Hampshire. Anyways, it, it's a school, it's kind of like dead poet society type school. You know, historically, a lot of old, rich white people like George W. Bush went there, you know. Were there a lot of drugs there? Like prescription drugs? A lot of Adderall. Yeah, <laughs> like that's the, that was the drug. Of, I bet. Of I mean, choice. it must have been so much pressure there. Right. Yeah, and we can get into that, right? Yeah, but it, it was quite a pressure cooker. And um, actually, like a lot of things happened when I was there that was very sad. Not personally to me, but like to, you know, people in my class. So yeah, but that's kind of my experience, right? From going to a primarily immigrant dominated public school to like a more white, but still public school program to a school that was heavily privileged where I was a student on a scholarship. So that's kind of the range of my experience. And I think that that really influences how I think about schooling for my kids. Yeah. And and I remember in the last conversation I had with you, you said when you were in the LA system, you used to take the bus how long to go to to school? Oh, yeah. So after I started going to the gifted magnet program, you know, I was commuting an hour and a half each way on a school bus. Each way. Yeah. So I would. Yeah. So my parents would drop me off. And my brother off at the school bus stop at like 6.20 in the morning. And then we would probably get to school like a little bit before eight. And then we would get back home around like 4.45 or five and then walk home. And so we did that, you know, I did that for fourth, fifth, sixth and seventh grade. And then eighth grade, my parents moved much closer to the middle school where I was. They moved out to the suburb. So it's so interesting because like education is such a value in your family that that commute was you just, you just did it. You didn't even question it. Right. You know, fight back. You're like, we're doing this. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, my parents didn't really, they weren't like tiger parents in the sense, like they made sure, you know, I was doing my extra credit homework every night and stuff, but I think they did really try to, I think, open up as many opportunities as they could. So actually for middle school, when I didn't get a slot because it was a lottery. I remember my dad driving to school every day for like two weeks and we would just sit in the principal's office and talk to them so that, you know, they would try to get me off the wait list. And that's how I ended up going, being able to go to that middle school. So yeah, the whole bus rides, trying to get through this muscle through the system, muscle through red tape, all of that. I think my, yeah, educational opportunity was very important. What's really interesting though, Jenna, is as you're telling your story is that even though your parents, you know, didn't have a lot of financial or educational resources, but because you were in a large metropolis, by nature, you had more exposure to gifted programs to the scout from Andover who would come to LA. Whereas for me, I went to school after we immigrated here when I was six, I went to school mostly in a small town and always to public schools, which are good public schools, but just still public schools, right? And so, and my parents are very well educated, right? They both have graduate degrees, but we never had the opportunity, like private boarding school never even crossed our paths, right? Because, you know, you're in a small town, it's like just people just go to the regular public school. So I just find it really fascinating, right? That 
I mean, it was not saying it was easy because obviously, you know, your parents and you both made a lot of sacrifices, but it's just interesting, depending on where you are, what you get exposed to, too, yeah. right? So, I mean, you know, just to transition that over as I, to my schooling experience, I just went to public schools all the way through good ones, but still public schools in small towns, predominantly white schools. I grew up, you know, not really being around a lot of other Asian people, except people in Chinese school, which I hated on weekends. And I, <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I didn't, I mean, you know, and all like Asian immigrants are like, oh, Harvard, Harvard, Harvard. But like, you know, it's not really a thing that I really thought about. I like huge and I was a huge nerd and I loved I didn't love school. I loved learning and books. And because I probably wasn't challenged as much in school as you were, I just was so bored for most of school until I went to high school. And then even then it just felt like I was going through the paces, like, okay, I have to take these classes. I have to do the AP, but I just loved all the learning that I did on my own. And I think the main reason why I'm so well-read now, it's not because of any schooling that I ever received, but mostly because of my own impulses. So I have sort of, I don't know, I have this sort of obviously informs my perspective about public school, which is, I would say, fairly mixed. I'm not pro or against, but I think it may not, you know, just based on my own experience, I don't think maybe it's as positive as some other people who, like my husband, you know, he went to a, a charter school and it was really good. Like the way that he describes his experience, I'm like, yo, you know, that's not like most public schools, right? And so I think it just, yeah, it's really interesting how our opinions about the same system, right, is totally informed by our own experiences with that system, which are so disparate, depending on where you live and even within where you live, what area of the you know city in which you live, right? So Susan, I don't know, what about you? What's, what yeah. was your like? Yeah, yeah. I love it because it's it's also our, our origin immigration story and it's you learn so much about who we are just by the positioning of our story. So it's cool. I was born here. My parents came over in 83. Both of them grew up in a really rural area in the Mekong Delta and they both didn't complete ninth grade. So knowing my, in the history of my family, I had ever gone to college, born in the U.S. and then, you know, grew up in low-income housing. And then eventually we, we got our own house in San Pablo, which is in the East Bay, in the Bay Area. And we literally lived across the street from a school, but it wasn't that good of a school. And so we had our nail salon in Albany, which is next to Berkeley. And my mom used a dress of my aunt who lived in Albany. So I could go to that school next to the nail salon, but it was a, it was a better school called- Oh my God, that's Carnegie. so Asian. My mom so had Asian. done that for multiples of her friends because we live like our old house is in a really good school district. <laughs> you know what? I mean, yeah, hurting. You gotta do what Asian. you gotta do. You're not hurting anybody. Okay, so so we go to I go to a public school called Harding. And eventually nail salon's doing great. My, my mom sponsors over my aunties and my grandparents. And then we move an hour north to the city called Santa Rosa. One, because maybe the clientele has more money, but also the schools are better. So then now I'm going to also another public school, but this is a California distinguished school, which I don't know, maybe it wins some awards or something. So I went to elementary school, middle school, and our, our public school, high school, Maria Creo, And my entire life, I was like, I'm going to Berkeley because my brother went to Berkeley. And that's what all the Vietnamese refugees knew was Berkeley. Until the summer before senior year, I take a nap or I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there at home, just killing time. I watch Legally Blonde. I go to sleep. I wake up. And then I, then, you know, we have AOL online. I'm like, how do you apply to Harvard? And then that's the first time I go to the Harvard website. I tell my guidance counselor, you know, hey, I want these fee waivers for these 20 schools, including Harvard. I put that at the top. And she was like, Susan, let's talk about safety schools. Chico. And I'm sitting there going like, you're telling me a state school? Like, I have a 4.86 GPA. I'm the student body president. And like, I'm sitting here going like, wait, I don't get it. And part of it is, is like, I grew, I, I'm always in an all white space. Right. And I'm like always the one sticking out. But at the same time, it's like, as being a part of the public school institution, they just want to, I, my hypothesis now is she just wanted to feed me into more public schools. And maybe they never thought about that, but also historically, our school, no one had ever sent anyone to Harvard from my school. It was very rare to, to leave the public school system, let alone the state. So I think I just didn't really have any exposure to, like we had no recruiters coming, right? But at the same time, I was, I was driving my own discovery with that. I mean, of course, this is all sandwiched by the, if you get a B, you know, we'll disown you kind of like mentality at home. So it's like, it was always about- How about if you get an A minus, we'll disown you. Just kidding. Truth, 
Truth. So, Truth. I mean, I, I, I think the point here, what I'm trying to tell you is like my parents tried to, they situated our lives so that I could go to a better school, even though it was public school. You know, I, if I had known about this boarding school situation, I probably would have applied. That sounds really, I was like, live at school. Yeah. Like, does that include food? Awesome. American food? I'm down, you know, but like, yeah. that wasn't even a part of my, my parents knowing, right. Because our amount of knowledge was what did the Vietnamese refugee community know? What did, what did, parents friends talk about what did they actually know and all they knew is the kids that just came there and they're starting to grow up into the system but they don't know all the other options yet so anyways that's me okay so that was our journey just to get to harvard right and then we get into harvard big deal for all of us and then now like i guess 15 years later 10 15 years later we're thinking about our kids and the question is is what are we willing to do to put them in the best situation possible, what do we want for our kids? And what do we hope we're actually preparing them for? And, and, and does that actually conflict with the values that we also think we have for, well, so for what's our role in society? What? I mean, well, so it's interesting because it depends on what we think is best, right? Sort of it hinges on what is quote unquote the best. And I think like, I know this is not, I don't want to turn this into a shit on Harvard episode. Like we made one episode, I think in season one, but honestly, like <laughs> but my husband Kate's about to drop about the H-bomb. Okay. I know, I know, but not in the way you think. Drop a bomb on the H more like, but you know, my husband talked about a lot, like in 18 years or like less for Isaiah, cause he's a little older, 17, 18 years. I honestly don't know what higher education is going to look like in the US. I don't really know what the labor market is going to look like in the US. Things are changing incredibly fast. I work in the field of higher education in China, but still I keep up to date with the US and it's changing really fast. There are a lot of challenges. The way that it is today is just not sustainable. And also just what's valued in the workplace and the kinds of skills that are required and you know the industries that are developing, everything is changing so quickly. I find it really interesting that I've encountered a lot of parents here in the Seattle area, you know, talking about schooling. And I find that predominantly they are thinking about schooling in a very traditional manner, by which I mean the way that our parents thought about it, which is that you see what is awesome today. Harvard is awesome today. Stanford is awesome today. This is the best today. The best outcome is your kid goes to these top schools and they get go into this like awesome, you know, career and it's very prestigious, et cetera. Then they work backwards from there to make the decisions for their kids today, whether their kids are like one, or five, right? And for me and my husband, we feel like that is not the right way. Because again, going back to the, the world is changing very quickly. The status quo of today is not what it's going to be in 16, 17 years. And so actually then we let more, less an outcome guide us, right? Like less, we don't let a discrete outcome guide us and more, what do we think we want our daughter, what kind of environment do we want our daughter to grow up in, learn? What do we think we want, what, what do we think will encourage her to grow and become the person we really want her to be? Yeah. So interestingly enough, I think he and I talk a lot more about values in schooling as opposed to just schooling and then, you know, what will achieve the best outcome. So I know I just threw out a whole bunch of loaded topics. Out there. Totally. I want to go on the first one, which was achieve the best outcome. And when we say like, we know Harvard is awesome. We know Stanford is awesome. Like, what does that really mean? Because before in the, in our, our times when we were there in the early 2000s, it was the, the, the trophy was graduate and then work at Goldman Sachs or McKinsey. Is that, is that pretty much aligned with you two about like, that was the prize? Yeah. Well, I didn't know that going into Harvard. At the oh time. yeah, I but didn't know. I didn't that's know what, either. Yeah. I know that's the crazy thing, right? I think probably for all three of us, we had never heard, I'd never heard of Goldman Sachs or McKinsey. I was like living under friggin' rock and I show up at Harvard and I'm like, what is this? Like, but then by the time we graduated, that had become the hymn, right? It's like the, the, the theme yeah. of like Harvard is must get into one of these prestigious firms, right? That in back in, okay, we're going to date ourselves to 2007 when we graduated. And Susan's totally right, right? So that's then. That was excellence, right? Right. So I just want to clarify that that's why, is that, that is perhaps a reason why people are driving towards that's what we want, you know, like, hey, let's try to get you into Lakeside, that high school that Bill Gates went to so that you have a really good shot at Harvard so that you can make more money. Right? Isn't that, yes. is, isn't that the essential end game here? Is we, parents want to situate their kids so that they will be in a higher probability of making more money? Otherwise, they're going and to socially, like, these social schools. prestige. 
Right. Because there's, right. then there's yeah. all these other schools that are like, we don't give each other grades and like, you don't have to wear clothes, you know, like you, you, you have like that spectrum of schooling where it's like, and you design your own thing and all this stuff. And then well, you have the, the very structured, like I, I got the, the job offer. And right? the public schools. I mean, there's like another dimension here, right. Which is like, public schools. Can, like, this is like the program clothes. and you can make of it what you will and it's just like we're just going to throw the kids in there and like see what happens totally totally so okay so kate so i just wanted to clarify that when we say best outcome everyone has a different definition of best outcome and now what you're saying is you and rob are saying hey maybe it's not just also the school that's going to give you we a don't higher think that's the best outcome. higher so what is the best outcome yeah. the best outcome for us is that our daughter is able to develop deep skills and a framework for approaching whatever she wants to learn, like that she has a good, you know, good work ethic, that she's emotionally really healthy and resilient so that whatever she encounters, whether it's academic, professional, or personal, she could really get through that with obviously with our support, but also that she is equipped with that, right? And that whatever she chooses to either study or work at, that she has a determination to really push through with it. That's the most important thing, right? Because we don't really know what careers or professional trajectories will be new and exciting and interesting by the time, if she goes to college even, she comes of age to work. We just don't know, we have an idea, but think of how much things have changed in the last, like ever since we graduated from college, right? Oh my right. gosh, I can't do math. <laughs> Sorry. Math, math. I went to Harvard, I promise. I totally went to Harvard. <laughs> anyway, yes, but for the last very long time. <laughs> Yes, the very long time. Yes, very um, long. So you want her to be emotionally intelligent. Yeah, right? That's what you're saying. Not just emotionally intelligent in the, oh, I can understand how other people feel. and But I mean, emotionally, I think resilient and have a, strong, a sense of confidence. Not ego, but just confident in who she is and that she feels comfortable in this world and, you know, not feeling like she's an other like I did, right? And my husband did growing up as immigrants. I think that's the most important thing that she feels really comfortable in her identity and has resilience and so, has determination. So what does that look like? Does that just look like a racially diverse school? Like, I mean, how does this translate to when she turns four? What so first of all, concrete things, I want her to go to a school where she actually sees people who kind of look like her, which is general Asian, she's half Indian, half Chinese. So some kind of Asian, that's really important, right? Cause I don't know about the two of you, but like I mentioned, most of my schools were predominantly white. I didn't see very many people who look like me. And I think that really does impact how you see um, yourself and the what you think of as normal, right? And another thing is we're really committed to bilingual education. I speak to her exclusively in Mandarin. I want her to be able to, you know, have schooling where she gets exposure to, to Mandarin, right? I mean, you know, so I think that's a big part of it for her, especially as a young person, is to just to feel like, you know, she sees herself in her, in, in people around her. Totally. Jeanette, what's your, what's your definition of best outcome? Like, what are you planting the seeds for, for your kids of like, if they're going to, I, I, I will find that they are successful or I did my job when they are this, this, and this, and that translate to a university or a vocation like what are you thinking about when you're you're planning out where where your kids should go okay just stepping back I feel like I have more and more the realization that so much about my kids and what they're going to do how they're going to turn out is actually not really within my control right I mean I I have a heavy influence and I think the area where I have like the heaviest influence is in my relationship with them Right. I think that's actually a really important part of their likelihood for being happy and resilient and successful by on a wide array of measures. I try to lower whatever expectations I might have of what they're going to do professionally or where they're going to go to school, because I think for them to be in the long term happy. It's like, I, if, so let's say I have a goal of them going to Harvard. Like, even if I could force that outcome, I think I'd have to push them so hard and strain my relationship with them so much that it's it just not worth it, I think, to, to them or to me. So I think I just try to think like, okay, what's a thing I can control here? That's like really my relationship with them and maybe certain 
big choices about which environment I put them in, right? But like, I, I think I try to steer away from, oh, I want them to have X profession or like go to X school. I mean, I, I kind of have some guidelines, right? I mean, I want them to have basic life skills like reading comprehensions and math, right? And actually, I think that bar is kind of high because I used to think like, oh, it's fine, whatever college they go to. But then I did some consulting work at this college that was around a 50th ranking mark. And I was coaching some students there and literally some of them didn't know why we were doing like a piece of division to figure out growth rate. And I was kind of, okay, I think my kids should, by the time they're 18 or 19, know how to use division in a practical context. Right. So like, I mean, that's kind of my bar, but maybe that's like, that's still a high bar because this is, this was like the 50th rate, like around that level. 50th of, percentile, you mean? Yeah. No, 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 not 50th percentile. Like oh, literally they were like rank number yeah. 50 in the U S yeah. Yeah. Not like exactly, oh. but around that range. Right? I mean, that brings up a good point. Cause I, I, I used to kind of hate on it being like, Oh, those parents only want their kids to go to tier one schools or like when the controversy, you know, like of like, why are you so attached to a tier? Like, why can't you just, well, you know, I, I felt like it was all gross and dirty. I, I especially thought it was really funny when those Hollywood moms like cheated their kids into getting into colleges, but they didn't cheat them into like the, the tier ones, the, the very top schools. It was like not the top schools. I was like, if you're going to cheat, why don't you do the best schools? It was very confusing to me. But what you're trying to say actually here is that some of those, it, it does, it can matter. It yeah. can matter. Yeah. Can, ranking can matter. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, you don't have to go to Harvard, Stanford, MIT. It's not like you don't get into those schools and I'm going to act like it's the end of the world. But I do think there's some range in which like, I hope that you have mastery over these basic skills and where you go to college will correspond to that, you know, in some close way. Because I've, when I interact with students from some other schools, I'm like, I, I am like sincerely worried. Like, I'm like, I, I feel worried about you. Are you going to be able to calculate whether your bank is charging you the right interest on your mortgage or, you know, the, your credit cards, like charging you the right interest on your credit card payments? I mean, I'm like, these kids don't seem to always have the basic skills I would definitely expect and hope that my kids would have by that age. Yeah. I mean, I got to admit going to Harvard smaller-ish school compared to like UC Berkeley, smaller class sizes, a lot of like people to tap into for resources and advising and stuff. Like I felt attended to, you know, like I felt like if I had needed support, the support was there. And that's because Harvard had a lot of resources, you know, and they also have a lot of resources for low-income people, which I wasn't really aware of in high school, that, that that's actually great. You know, they have great financial aid for low-income people. Okay, so, so, so here we are. Now we're parents. How, how do you feel about the process about applying for like applying for schools for your kids? Like Kate, you're you're. It sounds like your inputs are really clear. I want there to be some Asian people, and I want Chinese immersion. So that kind of already limits you to uh, just a few schools in Seattle, right? Like two, three <laughs> total. No, actually, there are a lot. And you know, to this end, I crowdsourced, right? Because I was like, I clearly don't know everything. So how do I crowdsource? So I went into this Facebook group for like Chinese English bilingual parenting. And I was like, who all's in Seattle? Want to start a WhatsApp group so we can talk about Seattle specific schools. And so actually that's how I found my daughter's uh, toddler uh, daycare program that she's going to start in September. I'd never heard of the place. It's a bilingual Chinese English Montessori um, school. And I think it's the best of all the schools that I was considering. And I didn't even know about it before. So I definitely crowdsourced. It's really helpful. To, to have that, right? But most importantly, the reason why actually why I feel really good about this school at the end of the day is it's not just because it has the bilingual education, but I really like their values. Like I really, when I talked, the director of the program, she's an educator, right? So you can tell that she's truly passionate about Montessori education and bilingual education. Whereas with other schools that I talked to, I was mostly talking to an admin person and you know they can be very competent, but they're not educators. Like they don't understand necessarily um, curriculum education, especially early childhood education. And so I just didn't get that same kind of passion. And I really, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm a sucker, right? Like I, I see my values reflected in the values of the program director of this school. And so I got, you know, why not, right? And it happens, I think, to have like the best bilingual curriculum of all the schools that I checked out. So. Wait, wait, she's turning two? She's one and a half. <laughs> and, yeah. then, and then you're going to the yeah. specialized preschool. 
essentially. They might specialize in that. I mean, it's Montessori. There are a lot of Montessori daycares, but this one is specifically bilingual, English, Mandarin. And the reason why I want to keep it up is because, you know, I want it to seem very natural to her, right? I already only speak um, Mandarin to her at home. And I know just from reading and talking to a lot of parents who have older kids they're, who are, whom they're trying to raise bilingual, it can be very challenging, especially once formal schooling starts. And so I just want to make sure that even when she's away from home, she has that environment. But I wasn't going to compromise it if everything else didn't fall into place, because I actually originally picked another daycare that was not Mandarin, it was not bilingual at all, because I thought that she would be well taken care of there, because the, the bilingual Mandarin place that I looked at, I just felt weren't adequate in terms of I don't know. I didn't feel like the values aligned with mine, right? So still, my fundamental, my first, you know, line of questioning is still the school's values. Do I identify with it? Do I identify with how they care for the children? If they don't, if we don't match, it doesn't matter if their Mandarin program is good for me. Jeanette, I know you started talking to parents in your neighborhood about schools and stuff. Like, have you landed? Can you talk about your process of figuring out the entire school system of Seattle and and what you think you're going to do? Uh, yeah, well, I don't think we exactly know what we'll do yet. I, yeah, it's interesting, right? Because I had to spend probably a good three or four hours just looking through the Seattle Public School website and reading different blog posts to really even get a sense of like what my options were. And I still have some outstanding questions, right? I mean, and you know, I'm like a fairly well-educated person. So you just think like for, for- How does everyone else figure it out? Yeah, for like somebody who maybe English is like their second language or maybe they, you know, have, they have problems or challenges in other ways. Like, and you know, it's really might be more difficult anyways. I don't know, right? So I part of it depends on who Isaiah is and what he likes. If he likes school, what parts of school he likes. I think it all depends on that. What I do know is that the school in our neighborhood, in along a lot of metrics, doesn't look that great. I mean, we live in a fairly affluent um, area of Seattle, and so you would think that the local public school would be also good. But actually, I think a combination of like the school, well, a lot of people in our school also send their kids to private school. So like a lot of wealthier families actually like opt out of the public school system. And this public school, our local elementary school draws on an area of Seattle that's also lower income. So if you look at like things like test scores or more conventional kind of markers of, you know, school quality, they don't, they don't look great. They look actually pretty bad, like in third decile of school test performance against the state. And so that's absolute state scores. But even if you look at growth metrics, which is supposed to measure how much students are learning year over year, it also is like very low. So I think our hope is that he can go to one of what Seattle calls their choice school systems, which is they're not neighborhood schools. You have to lottery into, but you know, the, the idea is like not to trap people, especially probably lower income people into having to go to low performing schools that are assigned to them in their neighborhood. But there's one that's about 12 minute drive from our house that looked great. And we know some folks who send their kids there and they also like it. So we're hoping that Isaiah would be able to get a spot there. But if he doesn't, then, you know, I I think that's kind of where the question mark is. And I'm not sure if we've like decided that we would move, you know, in that case or or like send him to private school on a temporary basis. You know, I don't think we've gone there um, yet, but it seems fairly likely that he will be able to get a spot. So I think that that's what we're counting on in our minds. Okay, can I push you a little bit on this? Yeah, yeah. Uh, A school that's in your neighborhood, Mm -hmm. third decile, I like saying that, decile. What if all the other parents that send the kids to private schools just send them to this school. You, well, you know what I mean? Like, it's like the more they send it to private school, then the more that this school, quote unquote, stays in the third decile, like, would it change somehow? Like, I'm just kind of sitting here going like, you already, I guess we don't pay state taxes, but somebody's paying for this and you're probably paying for the public school already. Like, why pay more somewhere else? 
Well, if we send them to private school, obviously it would be, we would pay our property taxes and pay tuition on top of that, right? We, that's not what we would prefer to do. But yeah, I mean, if we send him to this other option school that's 12 minutes away, that's like, that's also a public school, right? So we wouldn't be paying more. But I, I think you bring up this other point, which is, yeah, we're essentially, if I think part of the issue with our local neighborhood school is that, you know, all the families who would be going there and pestering the administrators and the teachers to do a better job, you know, and like bringing the resources of a wealthier family into that school, like, you know, am I just contributing to the problem by not sending my kid there, even if I'm sending him to a different public school, right? And I think that that's a totally fair point. And I, I come from like a, a, a low-income background, you know, I, and I have also taught before in a low-income school, you know, I, I think of myself as somebody who cares about social justice issues, but I think that when I think about my kids' education, it, the, the, the way that that applies becomes much more complicated, right? Because I think one is I'm making the decision and putting the cost on somebody else, right? It's not like I'm choosing where I go to school. I'm choosing where my kid goes to school. My kid is not me, right? So I have to make the choice on his behalf. And like some part of like me making, imposing my values on him just feels, it feels harder, right? If I really care about doing something and I'm willing to take the cost for it, that's one thing. But making my kid bear the cost of that seems like a different thing. And I think also education is also a different thing, right? You you only have like a, a limited number of years and it, it does feel somewhat path dependent, right? If you are like in a school from K through five where you're learning very little, that's going to put you on a different path for middle school and high school. And so that it does feel like a bigger stakes decision. And I think I have just some personal anecdotes that also influence my decision making on this too. So overall, I was a very, you know, I was like, like, like kind of like a model student, probably like all of us were, right? The only time I acted out in class was in third grade. I had a teacher who was a very lazy teacher and she, I hated, I hated her. And, and she so was like, Korean. And she, she was, was Korean. Korean. Yeah. She would like let the classroom run wild, except when the prince, she saw the principal walking down the hall, then she would get like all in a tizzy and tell us to sit down. And we always did the same things every single week. And so one day I just lost it. And I like stamped my little feet in class and said, I hate you, Mrs. Park, like you are not a good teacher. And my mom got called into the principal's office and uh -oh. I made my teacher cry. And that's when the principal said, I think maybe we should look for a different school for Jeanette. But in a good way, right? She's like, you're getting frustrated, right? And and I think it, had I stayed in a school like that, like I made a, I may have hated school. I may have just become like really fed up with it. So I, I think just to foster that love of learning is an important, you know, outcome, Susan, like what you were saying. And I don't want Isaiah to be in an environment where it's chaotic or, you know, that there's no learning going on because then it might turn him off to learning altogether. Yeah, but it's well, just, but I, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Kate. Well, what I hear when Jeanette says that is, although I didn't have a meltdown at my teacher, I, I do identify with your feelings and that I think you and I are probably pretty similar. We were probably, you know, we're a high achievers and I felt really bored in elementary school, like so bored. I didn't have any disorganized teachers, but I was just like, this is boring. I'm going to go home and read all the books that I want to read. And the only time I felt challenged was when I went to a really, really excellent public elementary school for a year in San Diego, big city, right? And I mean, the quality was just out of this world compared to my other small town, good public schools. So I think what you're also saying though, Jeanette, which you articulated earlier is that if your children are like you in that way, right? You don't want to, you want to put them in a place where it encourages and, you know, if they love to learn or if they're a nerd or something, which is awesome, right? But you and I didn't go to schools, at least initially that really, spoke to that. And I, and now that you're saying, it, I wonder if my parents had, you know, thought or had more resources to put me in a place where there was actually much more learning going on, where I could have been more engaged in school as opposed to just spending all my time out of school reading because I was so bored at school. Maybe I would also have a different outcome, right? I didn't hate school, but I didn't like it either. So I think I, I understand where you're coming from, Jeanette. I think if, if your, our kids are like that, I would make the same decisions as, you know, as, as you're, as you're outlining. But I'm curious, Susan, because you mentioned earlier at the beginning of the recording that making schooling choices for your son brought out some values that you didn't realize you had or that you're not comfortable with. Yeah, tell yeah. us. 
yeah, yeah. I'm really curious. Well, actually, the, mom, not, the, the not comfortable part <laughs> is actually Jeanette's story where I'm like, Jeanette, oh. why don't you feed the, just, just go to the school, find you, and then maybe the 30th, they'll, they'll go to the fourth decile one day. So that, that was, that was what I was alluding to. But yeah, it, you know what, I, now you are all jogging my memory. My elementary school, the California Distinguished School that my mom moved the whole family up so that we could start going to, it had a gifted and talented program. And I would beg to do extra math after school, like capital, a, a nerd with a capital N. I was like, oh my God, I want to do the brain teasers. Oh my God, please, please, please. Like, I'm like now reliving all that. And I'm like, I was a fucking nerd too. But it did have a gifted program and that put me on a track for honor stuff. And I was doing, I was doing a lot of extra stuff in sixth grade, like, because I was, the, all the teachers were like, okay, what are you going to do? And I was like, report due in three weeks. Here it is the next day. And then they were like, I, I was sitting there just staring at them. They stare back at me. It was, it was, but what I'm getting also from this too, Jeanette, about eight-year-old Jeanette here stamping her feet is you were dictating your own education too. Like you, you, you got to a point where you could express your feelings and, and show the adults around you that you were not, uh, not satisfied. Right. And so here we are as mothers of, you know, toddlers and we, we think we can kind of pick up on who they are, but we're still learning a lot. Right. So until then, until they tell us like, actually, I, I don't want to go to high school and I want to be a coder and I want to go to boot camp. Boy, I'll be happy because it'll be way cheaper than going to a four-year college. Okay, so in terms of me, my whole debate right now is I live across the street from an elementary school, which I am not zoned for. I am zoned for the elementary school a mile, like two miles away where I have to hop in the car. I'm kind of sitting there going like WTF, like it's literally across the street. Like, I don't know which line you're, you're drawing, but can you just like just draw my house too, you know? I was like, I am going to join their PTA in advance. I'm going to make myself known and I'm going to get him in that school. Like, Tiger Paper? Who knows? But now here's a big but with a capital B is I found out that there is a, a school in the next town over, 13 minute drive when there's no traffic. So who knows after the pandemic how much traffic there will be. And it's a Vietnamese immersion school. And half, K through six, half of it's going to be in Vietnamese, but you know, it could be a 15, 20 minute drive. Marvin is like, he's like, you know, if you calculate that, that's another hour of your life, you know, times how many number of years, are you sure you want to do that? And I'm sitting there going like, oh my God, the, the quick option is literally across the street. The Vietnamese immersion option is also low performing school, low, low test scores. I don't know the, the learning rate curve, whatever you talk about. I haven't looked into that one. I just like Googled it really quickly, right? Just to see. And, and so I'm sitting here going like, oh, what do I do? How important is it for my kid to carry on this very specialized language? Because Mandarin, Mandarin is much more widespread than Vietnamese, okay? Sure. Or Spanish. That seems like a very logical, good thing to give my child. And I learned Spanish all the way through college and it's very helpful. When I go to the daycare, my daycare, they're Ven it's a, it's a Venezuelan couple. He, he, maybe his like pants are wet because he sat in the grass and I'll be like, I'll pick him up and show him and, and, in, and in my perfect, amazing, terrible Spanish, I'll be like, el esta seco, like he's dry. You know, like I'll like do the opposites and then they kind of look at me and blink nicely and then speak to me in English, even though I'm like, you'll hear a perfect car, you know, like it's terrible, but they see effort. Anyways, the point here is, is like, how important is it be for me to carry on our Vietnamese heritage? And it'll take me time. So it's not even Vietnamese language school on the weekends that you drive to that the kid hates anyways and is traumatized by. It's every day. But I want to normalize speaking Vietnamese and maybe, and there's Vietnamese teachers and it was a really well thought out program. But is that really that much better than just walking across the street to this school that I'll force my will onto? So Marvin has had me listening to the podcast night nice, nice white parents have either of you heard it no. it's about like a public school system somewhere in, in new york area and it's these parents are like oh my god why are we racially segregated there's only three choice white middle schools that all the white parents want their kids to go to and if you can't get into that man there's a supply problem but there's all these other schools that basically have a lot of colored kids 
So then these very nice white parents decide that the school next to them, they want their kids to go to. And they're the, and they go on these tours and the, and the only tours that anyone ever goes on are white parents. Like they never see the other colored parents because they're busy working. And then these nice white parents, they join the school and then they are like all passionate about a French immersion program. And that they're gonna raise tens of thousands of dollars for this French immersion program. So they go to the PTA meeting and you know, th these are the parents they, they have simple bake sales. They don't raise like a shit ton of money, but they have, you know, their community events. But in come all these nice white parents and they're like really pushing for this thing. They put on a, a charity dinner. They like auction off their vacation homes for weekends. And like these other parents are going like, wait, what is happening here? And there's more clash, there's more division and it all falls apart. And so I kind of sitting there, I'm listening to that. I'm like, oh my God, am I a nice Asian parent? Like if I join this school that's a Vietnamese immersion, Am I going to be forcing my will onto this community and shaking stuff up when I think it's helpful to everyone, but maybe it's not? Am I, is it good that I'm bringing my kid here so that I can keep this program alive because they probably need enrollment, you know, and I can bring in my, my energy and like, I don't know, like maybe, maybe I'm the chili cook-off mom, you know, and it's going to be super fun. Or am I just making like a big mess out of all of this, wasting a lot of gas and time? and just take him across the street and maybe I'll take him to Vietnam a couple of times before he graduates high school. You know, like I, I'm kind of sitting here going like, what's the worth my time? What does my kid really want? But until he has the ability to tell me what he wants, what do I want? And and like, what does Marvin want? And Marvin's like, you know, he's, he's Korean. So how much he cares about the Vietnamese experience and language, low. He's just kind of like thinking about time. And, and so I kind of feel guilt about it. And then I'm like, oh God, maybe I'm the one stuck driving then, you know? So that's kind of where I'm sitting right now is like, if, and I'm also worried about bringing to the Vietnamese school because I'm like, test scores are low. Yeah. Is, is he going to be in a situation that is good for him? Or like, and, and what does that mean? Like, I don't know, is there gonna be more violence uh, on campus or your friend group really matters? Yeah. But then I was like, I grew up poor. Am I afraid of people like me? You know, that that's a big question. Mm. And then I could be afraid of all those things in terms of the, the test scores and stuff. Or I can be like, hey, I'm bringing in my energy and it's actually a positive thing for the community and I'm going to be mindful and we're going to we're gonna rise the tides for everybody. Yeah. You know? So I'm kind of sitting here going like, am I, am I thinking I'm a savior? Am I thinking that I'm being a good mom with a heritage part? Am I, am I really gonna drive him more time each day? You know, like I, I'm sitting here just, so many parts of me is just debating what I truly want and what I'm secretly afraid that I am. Yeah. Well, thank you. Am, am I, yeah. yeah. Well, it seems like the challenge here is that not only are we all thinking about what is right for our child, like what, where, what environment would he, she thrive in? So we're considering from the perspective of the child, right? But we're also thinking about the, well, at least two of you more than me, the social context, both societal, also your neighborhood, right? And I think that's a lot more than our parents were ever thinking about, right? It was so much more simple. There was kind of like, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a safety in formulas, right? Just find the best school, just pick this path. And also it seems like from our conversations that the three of us, correct me if I'm wrong, are driving the conversation in the household. It's definitely the, for, for sure me in my household, my spreadsheet is my making. So, <laughs> you know, and then Susan just said, you seem to sort of be taking in the reins. What about you, Jeanette? Are you and Jake sort of both evenly contributing to the conversation or do you, is there one person who drives it? Jake does do a lot of his work in education, right? but I still am doing the spreadsheet. I mean, he, he obviously has his view. I mean, this is also a little bit like where I think it's interesting, right? Because Jake has a more of a systems view. So he's like, oh yeah, that school is fine because of X, Y, and Z. But I'm like, you're not thinking of the individual who is our child, right? And I don't really care so much about in this instance, what the system is doing. I care about what's right for our kid. 
And so, you know, I think that that's kind of a, an interesting dynamic there too. Yeah. So, I mean, he contributes, he, he obviously knows a lot about this and he also, for whatever reason, like in the Seattle public school system, he knows more parents. So he's able to contribute that way, kind of give input into what kind of experiences people are having at different schools. But in terms of let's sit down for three hours and really read through the Seattle public school website and see how the whole choice system works. And like, you know, when are the deadlines and what are the important dates we can't miss and blah, 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 blah. Like, that's like, that's me. I think with all of this being said, I can't remember where I read this or maybe somebody told me, but one thing that none of us has mentioned is that unlike our parents' generation, all three of us and all three of our spouses are top tier educated, very well resourced. And for most, I think this is, I, again, don't remember where I read it, but for a lot of kids, it's your family, your immediate family, yeah. your parents that have the most impact right, in terms of kind of how you do in, in this way academically. So I just wonder too, I'm just gonna throw it out there, if somehow we're just sort of like navel gazing a lot, you know, because oh, we yeah. can. Totally. For sure, right? Wait, I mean, wait, 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 wait. What does navel gazing mean? Because I definitely have an any. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? Or like maybe more like, so let's say preaching the choir, I don't know, that we are kind of like, we are, our, our kids will already be fine because of already who we are, like our socioeconomic and social like position in this society, right? And that, you know, that's a place where most people can't even get to. And I think it's getting harder to get there. And so are we just kind of, you know, preach into the choir? I mean, not saying it, it devalues it, but maybe it's just to try to make us all feel slightly better <laughs> as we're, you know, just spending a lot of time in this process that at the end of the day, the likelihood is that our kids will turn out fine because of us and the environment that we create at home. Yeah, that actually makes me feel worse because- Why? Well, Why? Because, because, because then it makes me feel like, oh, maybe I should be taking more of a hit, right? For the good of my community. If my kid's already gonna be fine, like maybe I should just send him to that's what I'm school, saying right because like he's already gonna be fine right so like you know why am I spending all this time that I could be putting to something else at driving him and like researching all of this stuff when he's already probably gonna be fine and I don't need to you know rack my brain trying to figure out like the optimal setup for him I'm, I'm just pushing you Kate right I've read that research too that's the biggest single influencing factor right for how a kid does academically is like their their parents and actually especially their mom's educational attainment. So yes, our kids are already coming with so many advantages and it, it just kind of compiles, right? Because it's like, not only do they already have advantages but they already have parents who can navigate the school district website and who have time to drive them to different things and have flexibility, you know? like So it's just like com compiles. So it actually makes me feel worse but but I see what you're saying. Well, I'm not saying that I, it makes me do less. I mean, I, I, I don't think that I do less because of it, or I necessarily worry less, but let's just throw it out there as a statement, right? That just to call attention to our privilege already and just yeah. like having this conversation, uh, which I think oftentimes it's really easy to forget. And I, I, I'm reminded of that because I'm in you know, a bunch of these like Facebook or whatever else group, which I have created. And I actually <laughs> participate in with, you know, upper middle class mostly moms talking about this and getting really worried that somehow their child's going to have like a disaster of a life because they didn't go to the best bilingual school. And I'm like both la semi laughing at them, but also being like, that's me. Right. I mean, does anybody else feel the sense of self-loathing? Like where you, if you are participating in this, you know, the mom's forum or like all these groups or whatever. And you're like, Oh, that mom is so like intense and kind of crazy obsessive. And then you're just like, that's not me. And then you realize, Oh, actually it is kind of me. I definitely do that, right? I don't know if either of you do that. I just don't think I'm like, I'm not that big of a social media person 
for better or for worse. So it's just- Well, it's not even social yeah. media. It's like on the forums where people talk about, you know, when you read reviews or even talking to other parents, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think just, yeah, no, I, I think I, I hear you, but it's just, I think our vectors for which information sources we rely on are a little bit different. And I think that's actually a weakness of mine that I don't really tap into other people for information as well, often. Well, I have to because there is no website for like, right. you find the best bilingual, you know, daycares in Seattle. I created that. It's called an Excel spreadsheet created by me and yeah. participated by all these other ladies that I've gathered together. Right. But so I think it's part, partly the research, like just where, where we find information is available yeah. in different places. Right, right. right. Okay, look, Kate, you had said the power of the, the influence of the parents meet turns out that the, those kids will turn out fine. And I, I'm just so curious about the word, the word fine. Like, does that mean like they, they can get into any college they want to? Does that mean they don't have any significant drug and alcohol problems and or like or, or eating disorders. Like, I mean, what is the definition of fine? I just want to put that out there. And then I also want to bring to our attention this documentary that just came out called Try Harder. It came out in Sundance this year. And it, it, it travels the lives of all these Lowell High School students in San Francisco, one of the top magnet schools there. And mostly Asian American students are trying really freaking hard to all get into Stanford and Harvard. But it's such a competitive instant pot pressure cooker in their school that a lot of them break down and they they just and and what they think is important and, and their own values it just it's it's a it's a very intriguing documentary that I just watched and so what I'm trying to figure out here is just that balance be there for my kid give him all the opportunities but also don't get him in a place where he is secretly buying Adderall you get what I'm saying which is like how do we give them what they need and also put them in the best position possible without messing them up? Because will we mess them up either way? That's kind of what I had in mind when we were talking in the beginning, right, about how you can't control everything. I mean, I think you just need to accept that as a parent, if you are engineering your kid to get into three, only three colleges or something, or only one college, you're probably bending them to the point where they're almost breaking, Right. And so I don't think that there's any hard and fast rules, but I think one thing I feel like I'm realizing more for myself is that I just have to accept that I cannot control everything that happens in their life. Right. There's certain inputs that I can give that I can focus on. And I think the most important ones are like my relationship with them and the environments that I put them in. But I have to have a certain level of open handedness about what actually happens. Because if they know that I'm only going to accept or be okay with one certain outcome, very specific outcome, then, you know, I think that that's kind of where you get into these spaces where like, I have to buy Adderall secretly or my life is over and I'm going to step in front of a train if I don't get into X college, right? That's terrible. I mean, you know, and I think to avoid that, I just have to be like, okay, you know, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, but we'll see what happens. And, uh, you know, I'm going to love you no matter what. Your okay. life is not over because of whatever, you know. Yeah, I think you can't, I think that your kids will be fine, meaning it's more what they don't have, which is they're not, you know, like poor. They're not on drugs. They're not in jail. All these things to answer your earlier question, Susan. But it's not what they could be, which could take on infinite variations, right? I mean, you could still be quote unquote successful and still be addicted to Adderall, right? And so and I think many what other Jeanette things. said, in many yeah. other, <laughs> trust me, people at Harvard did stuff that, you know, anyway, and still do. But I think what Jeanette is getting to, which I also really believe in, is at the end of the day, you want to make sure that your relationship with your child is a healthy one where they feel comfortable coming to you even when they have low moments, right? Because that's bound to happen, even if they are successful, you know, there'll be that first breakup. They'll be, you know, they get, oh my gosh, like a C on a test or something. And whereas when I think about my childhood, I could never go to my parents for those moments, right? I had to deal with it myself because I was too afraid to where there was no trust there because of, you know, attachment issues. And I can't imagine that life for my daughter. It would be truly tragic if she ended up on that trajectory. Like I would have 
felt like I had 100% failed as a parent, which is ironic because although that happened to me, you know, I don't know if my parents, I don't think my parents feel like they failed as a parent, right? It's just different generations, different expectations. But for me, I wouldn't want that to happen to her. I would love to do a follow-up episode in 10 years and 20 years mm-hmm. and 30 years <laughs> and re and like re-listen to everything we've just said and then see what happens because I'll be like oh you know what is going on with art right now that I have to tell you yeah <laughs> I love him but I don't love him right now yeah yeah all we can do is be those inputs right You've just listened to a confessional of Model Minority Moms. If you loved this episode, please give us a rating, follow us on Instagram at Model Minority Moms, and tell a friend about us. If you have a suggestion for a future episode or questions, send us an email at modelminoritymoms at gmail.com.